yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I lay my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. All right. Welcome to part two of the Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson story. We had the wife go whip us up a drink. So I figured it's the end of season two. We got to at least go out with a bang. So it's one of her go-to drinks. It's funny because she won't drink them. Mm -hmm. So it's my favorite drink that she makes that she can't drink at all. But it's her old fashions. So what do you, you guys, either of you guys ever had old fashioned before? I have not. I've heard them. I've seen them. You know, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but. It's just nice, the citrus that, and you can tell that she muddled, she broke out the mortar and pestle and, mm-hmm. you know, beat it up a little bit because the flavors are really flowerful in there. It's really good. So I have not had one before, and, you know, I don't know all of the niceties, the wording, you know, muddling <laughs> into the glass, but what I can tell you is, one, is delicious, and two, I have never had a drink of hers that wasn't delicious. And I would say you and I have been friends for maybe about 15 years now. Yeah. I've probably been having drinks from her for about 15 years. I've literally never had one that was like even borderline where you're like, eh, it's always delicious. Like, I don't know what she does, but it's always top notch. And this one is absolutely delicious. And to your point, and I guess this is where the muddling comes in. <laughs> you can taste like the layers of flavors. You know, mm-hmm. it's really, really good. And you can taste everything. You can taste some cherry. You can taste some orange peel. It's really good. And now this is, this is a bourbon old fashioned. So she used bullet bourbon. But one thing I like is, like you said, you could taste all the different flavors. Mm-hmm. But I think it also really showcases the bourbon too you know what i mean it's yeah, not a cocktail it doesn't that just sit there and hide it with the sweetness and the tartness and the, you know it, the bourbon is there the orange is there the cherry is there you know it, it's layers like it's beautifully layered like a beautiful cake yeah mm-hmm. you have those different flavors but it's for sure still bourbon so for if you're like a too macho for a cocktail go with this because it still is very much a bourbon drink so when we left off, Bumpy had took over most of the Harlem crime when he made a pact with Lucky Luciano and the Italian mob after beating Dutch Schultz. Well, wearing out Dutch Schultz by attrition in the war for the Harlem's number racket. He was, pre- he was riding pretty high. Him and Lucky Luciano got along real well. They would meet regularly once a week to play chess. A lot of times they play uh, by the Harlem YMCA, which was Bumpy's favorite. That was like his home court, like his mm-hmm. favorite spot. But when he first they first started playing, the first time Bumpy beat him, and Lucky was fucking pissed. So then they played again. Bumpy was like, "Yeah, motherfucker." And then next time, Lucky fucking smoked him, <laughs> and he's like, "Fuck." So then they had this chess war that went on, like, cause both of them had their cocky moment and both mm-hmm. got fucking checked, and uh, they would just play chess like all. So even like gangster shit aside, they get together once a week and play a game of chess and shit. Which I'm sure is still when they discussed some of their stuff. But. Oh, for sure, because I mean that's just that's just some real macho shit. All right, you got me on that one. I'm gonna come back and smoke your ass because you know I wasn't paying attention on that game anyway. I was kind of just letting you in, just get a little information. But now I'm about to put the hurt on your ass. They played chess once a week until Lucky Luciano went to prison in 1936. Uh, around that time, one day, Bumpy had a daughter. 
So he shows up at his sister's house one day with a baby, and he's like, hey, this is my daughter. I need you to take care of her. I'll give you whatever money you need. This is my- <laughs> Who just shows up with a baby? Hey, you got to take care of this baby. <laughs> hey, and, and it was a mixed baby, so her sister said, Bumpy, this is a white baby. And she said, he said, how could it be a white baby? I just told you it was mine. She should, his sister should have known that from when he was 13, 11, or whatever. The reason why he got sent to Harlem. <laughs> right? It turned out, whoever he had the baby with, they cut a deal. She would not abort the baby if he never told anybody who the mom was. So he never told, he like died with that secret. So he never told mm-hmm. his sister, he never told anybody ever. He done fucked around and got lucky Luciano's sister pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> he like, nah, I ain't telling hey, nobody. He, he was locked up. I ain't telling your brother that shit, <laughs> but checkmate, motherfucker. Yeah, that's, right? a good, that's a good chess move. Now, at this point, Bumpy's now legit kind of a mob boss, so he's not just having his stuff. He's controlling everything that's in Harlem. Mm. So he didn't consider himself a pimp, but there was a lot of prostitution in Harlem. Mm. So the reason he didn't consider himself a pimp, because he never like went to any girls, he never set up brothels, but there was a thing that in that area that they called them gorilla pimps, which mm-hmm. means they just take women by force and beat them until they just become prostitutes for them. So there were some girls that didn't want to deal with these guys, so they would go to Bumpy and be like, hey, I'll give you a piece of everything I earn if you... Keep this motherfucker yeah, off my back. You're you're my pimp. You know what I mean? Like, you're the guy. Like, you know, you offer me the protection. And Bumpy would do that. Yeah, because you figure, you know, who he is. And, hey, look, Bumpy yeah. Johnson is my representation. That motherfucker ain't going to go say shit to Bumpy because, right. yeah, I like breathing. And this motherfucker like to cut people. Yeah, I learned 37 about, times. <laughs> I learned about the term gorilla pimp, believe it or not. When I was pretty young, I had to be maybe no more than like 11 or 12 and going to the library because that's how you read back in the day. You know, I couldn't just go on a computer and you couldn't Google shit. Yeah, I couldn't Google. There was no Google, right? And so um, I was never much of a reader. I didn't read a lot because I hated school because of what they were teaching, but. I came across and stumbled across in the library this book called Pimp. And I was like, that seems like an interesting book. <laughs> it was about this guy named Iceberg Slim. And I was like, wow, I want to read that. Now, mind you, I'm somewhere between like 11 and, and 13 or something. I wasn't in high school yet. And I went to high school at like 13, right? So I'm like, wow, this seems great. And he would describe all this stuff. And then what was so great about this book, there was a glossary in the back. And so if you didn't know the term he was using, you go to the back of the book and he would describe it. So I'm like, yeah, such such gorilla pimp. Wait, what is a gorilla pimp? Let's go to the back and find (laughs) out. (laughs) And to your point, Locke, you know, it really was a representation of the difference between the normal pimps that would get women or get women to do stuff based on the finesse game and talking Mm -hmm. a good game talking them up into things versus the guys that use force, right? Use force to (laughs) do it. And the gorilla pimps were really frowned upon in that particular, you know, era Mm -hmm. in time. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying pimping is good, but back in those days, it was something that was done, you know? (laughs) Well, I mean, it all really depends. We covered Ada and Minna Everly, the Mm -hmm. Everly sisters, and they, they wouldn't work with any pimps. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't work with underage girls. They mm-hmm. wouldn't work with anybody that didn't want to be there. And they were saying, like, look, they, they're running $5 brothels where you're trying to hit 10 tricks a night. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, how about we go here? You're gonna spend all night with one guy that's got a bunch of money, mm-hmm. and you get one fifty dollar trick. Back, no different in hey, the porn industry. Back yeah. to what I said about intelligent women, man. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, they sat there and maximized the game with intelligence, with finesse, and with treating people as people, even though they were a product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were like, look. This is only bad if you make it bad. Like, we can make it as good as we want. And they're like, they made it, like, no, we're only bringing high-end clientele. And don't come in here if you're not trying to spend some money. Don't come in here if you're trying to rough up my girls. Yeah, they they vetted everybody, you know. And it wasn't just anybody could walk in. You had to be invited to be in there. Right. And for some people, I mean, whether people like it or not, that is a lifestyle. Like, I remember back in the day on HBO when the Bunny Ranch used to come on, which, uh, I forget the actual name of that ranch, but it's a real ranch. But it wasn't called the same name that was on HBO. Mm-hmm. But um, and that's what that guy represented. Like all the women could go, come and go as much as they please. They had a lot of things set up. When guys came in, if you wanted to do something, you had to have protection. All these things to protect the women and create a safe space. But you literally have some people that they just feel more comfortable in that area for whatever reason. And why shouldn't they have? a place to work, you know what I mean, without having to worry about all the negative side of it that they don't want. Obviously, to them, having sex with multiple partners isn't the negative side. The <clears throat> negative side is, once again, getting beat up by a gorilla pimp or getting cheated out of their money or being forced to do something they don't want to do or catching something or whatever else. And now you have these environments that can kind of set up a safe space. You know, that's a word you just got to use now. Ever since 2020, everything's a safe space. <laughs> but so. this is a literal safe space for someone that needs it. Right. For a person yeah. in this industry needs a safe space to safe apply space. their trade. Yes. So in 1937, uh, a gorilla pimp named New York Charlie, he was taking over all the girls in Harlem when he beats up one of Bumpy's girls. So Bumpy's like, well, we got to set a real example. We can't just kill him. That's not going to prove a easy. point. Yeah. So... He does what he usually does. He grabs his knife and he tracks him down and uh, he finds him at a bar and he just beats the shit out of him and stabs him up. Like usual, he stabs these guys up and goes to dinner. So he fucks him up, beats him up, <laughs> stabs him up. And they said a lot of it was almost kind of part of the what they did in Harlem. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the guys, like rival gang members, like black gangsters and shit, they would fight. They would sometimes drop those guys off at the front of the hospital, like to mm-hmm. the point where the front of the hospital had gurneys out there. So they'd fuck people up, and then they'd drop them off at the hospital and bounce out, and it was like a real rule, no snitching, no fucking right. nothing. Versus like, when Dutch I, Schultz guys... I brought you here so you could still live, but I wanted <laughs> yeah. to make sure that you got the fucking point. Right, whereas Dutch Schultz guys, they didn't do that, because they're like, no, nah, you ain't part of the neighborhood, you ain't trying, you're on some different shit, so they'd kill him and let him die in the street. Right. But, uh, like, all these, you see all these fights where he's stabbing these guys up. It's not an accident. Like, he's killed fuck it they killed 40 dudes out in a gang war Mm -hmm. he could go shoot that guy no he's trying to prove a point so new york charlie wise in the hospital he snitches and he tells the cops yeah bumpy did it damn it charlie dirty bitch (laughs) so while bumpy's still out they pull up and arrest him and shit and bumpy's like there's no way this motherfucker is snitch he for sure wouldn't stitch to my face so he's like there's a mistake take me Mm -hmm. take me where he's at and let him oh, fucking let him identify out. me, huh? Yeah. 
And uh, so they're like, okay. So they take him to New York Charlie, and he walks in the room, and as soon as New York Charlie, he's all fucked up and stabbed up, and he's like, yep, that's him. That's the guy that did it to me and shit. <laughs> the bumpy gr- gripped him up and started choking him, and it had to have the, the cops and the interns and everybody had to drag him off of New York Charlie <laughs> for trying to choke him in front of like a whole squad of cops and shit. That only happens on TV now. That's not real life anymore. <laughs> but you're not allowed to do that. So, and he did it right in front of the cops. Like they're all there to witness this act of violence. So he gets convicted of felonious assault and he gets sentenced to 10 years in Clinton in Clinton correction facility in Dan Mora. Now, when he got to Dan Mora, when he got there, lucky Luciano had already been doing time there. So they, they did time together and they got closer. When Bumpy Johnson got out, he did 10 years. When he gets out, he had noticeably gained weight. So he goes back. And everybody's like, what's up? What's up, fat boy? Uh, (laughs) He's been hanging out with the fucking Italian. He's been eating good shit. So uh, they were like, yeah, all of a sudden you're into prison food. And that's what he said. He said, "Uh, no, I was in there hanging out with Italians. And they had their own food brought outside. (laughs) And uh, said they were really good cooks. I saw that on mobster movies. It's true. Well, so, yeah, we do see it on some movies. In some places... It's bullshit, but we've covered some places where it's very true. And Bumpy straight up was like, nah, I rolled with the Italians and they had their own food brought in. And he said, they cooked it and they were great fucking cooks. And I just spent 10 years eating pasta, primavera, chicken marcellas. Prison getting fat and hanging out with the Italians. You got a guess in New York, that's true. So maybe if you go to prison down south, it's a little bit different. But one of the things that the Italians did really good, especially in New York, was... They integrate in every area of society, the police, the government, the prison systems, the guards, everything like that. So it made it a little bit easier when they were on the inside or whatever to get certain things in. Now, if you go all of a sudden and you're Italian and you get sent down south and you're in that good old boy network that really don't even see you as white like them, you may have a whole different scenario, right? Mm -hmm. But if you go to prison in New York, I absolutely can see that. The one thing that Italians, I think, did really well was taking some of that organized crime and everything and really putting pieces out in different areas that kind of overall help what they were doing and integrate them into multiple areas of society that would benefit the overall organization. Bumpy gets released in 1947, and uh, by then, Lucky had got out before him. And he was deported to Italy. He goes back to Harlem and he decides he's going to fire some new uh, numbers banks up. He's like, I'm back in town. I need to make some real money. I'm going to fire up a bunch of new banks. And uh, the Italians are like, nah, you've been gone a long time. That ain't what's happening no more. You don't run this shit down here like you think. Your boy boy ain't here no more. (laughs) And we didn't like you from the start, but we was following him because, you know, he got placed into that part. But yeah, he gone and you don't belong no more. Uh, so they call a sit down. He's with Joey Adonis. There's Fat Tony Salerno. Mm-hmm. You know, these new guys that are kind of the bosses. And he sits down with them and he tells them, he's like, hey, this is Harlem. I get to do what I want. This is right in my territory. And mm-hmm. they're like, nah, that's Harlem's ours now. So they're arguing and they're like, look, I know you don't like it, but it is what it is. We're under new management. So Bumpy tells Joey Adonis, he's like, nah, go talk to Lucky. Mm-hmm. And Joey Adonis is like, I don't got to talk to Lucky. We're running shit now. And he's like, nah, <laughs> go talk to Lucky and leaves. Bumpy's pissed. And he goes mm-hmm. back and he gets his boys together. 
This is true because I got it on tape. Mm-hmm. Like a place ended up being bugged, so they mm-hmm. have footage of him talking it. He put his crew together and he started planning on uh, a war with the Italians. And he was like, we're going to do the same thing we did with the Dutch Schultz. We're just going to mm-hmm. fucking hunker down <laughs> and we're going to fucking fuck them up. And uh, he said, they started off by uh, kidnapping Casper Holstein. He said, we're just going to start kidnapping their guys when they come into the neighborhood one at a time. They send the packages <laughs> down here. We're just going to kidnap them and hold them from ransom. And any of these motherfuckers step foot in mm-hmm. Harlem, we're going to kidnap them. And they're like, all right. All right. <laughs> That's all right, plan. Look, we know they're going to come here. Yeah. So we're just going to snatch them off the street and hold their ass for some money. Then we're going to send them back out. And then when they send them back again, we're going to snatch the next one or the same one. Hey, they're going to come right to the hive for the honey. We're just going <laughs> to grab them up one at a time and ask them for more money. Hey, as crazy as it is, it's not the first time we heard that. The Purple Gang did it. They called it the Snatch Game. It was a whole racket. They had guys that specialized in it. And if you were a gangster from out of town, like anywhere else, or a gambler or whatever, if you came to Detroit, you could either pay for protection or get kidnapped and pay ransom. <laughs> so you're going to pay us a bunch of money. Which would you want to do it up front or do you want to make us work for it? Because if we See, work for it, you're going to have to pay more. That's what I say. I'll go ahead and pay for the protection because I know ransom is going to fucking cost me more. So <laughs> I'm going to call ahead. <laughs> Look, I'm coming to town to do some gambling. How much for I can be there and be protected and not get kidnapped? Because I know that's a thing <laughs> fucking up there. And, I'm going to go ahead and pay that. And not exaggerating, like when the Purple Gang was running shit, like Al Capone, Meyer Lansky, like when these guys, when you came to Detroit, you talked to one of the Bernstein brothers, like, hey, we're going, you know, we're going to be in town. Everything's cool. What's what's that going to cost us? And they would take care of all of it. And I'm not saying they paid all of them, but it was definitely... Uh, <laughs> what was it? Uh, trick Trick? You at least, like, had, no, no you at least had to check in. Yeah, you at least had to check in. You might have to pay, but at least you're checking in. <laughs> trick Trick learned that from the Purple Gang. And shit. Like, we're running this show. So that was his game plan. But it, it never came to that. So Joey Adonis is like... I'm going to tell Lucky that this motherfucker thinks he's out here calling the shots. And Lucky's like, what are you talking about? You're trying to not let him sell up his number operations. Harlem's his. Give him what he wants and when he does what he wants. And my rules still fly. Bumpy fucking runs that piece of Harlem. Right. And they were fucking pissed. But Lucky Luciano, he still had the hammer. He was deported (laughs) and he was Italy. And they were running shit on the street. But ultimately, he had the big veto power. And he's like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, no, I set up this peace agreement a long fucking time ago. There was games in chess I had to yeah. fucking lose just to get a couple things I wanted. Y'all gonna be over there fucking it up? Because I'm sure he's over there, but I know he's still gotta be getting kicked up, yeah. too. You oh, know, for sure. yeah, yeah, no, you're not fucking up my money. Leave that guy alone, let him do what the fuck he wants. Well, it's one of those things where it's retirement, but it's, <clears throat> it's semi-retirement. You know, yeah. they are the bosses, they're the street bosses, and they're right when they say we're new management. Bumpy knew he had the like yeah, these the go over your head the over play. your head fucking <laughs> you had the ace he had the trump he yeah. had the joker um but what happened was so when they were in prison one time they were on the yard and a guy tried to stab Lucky Luciano and Bumpy knocked him out of the way and beat the shit out of the guy and that's when Lucky Luciano was like well guess what you're eating with the Italians and you're riding with us so in 1948. Bumpy Johnson met and married Mamie Johnson. Look at that coat. That is nice. <laughs> yes. Hey, I see that coat and all I hear is Dietrich Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was a commercial back in the day. 
So uh, Mamie was like 10 years younger than him. She was pretty. Like he swept her off her feet. He would just give her jewelry and fucking furs and clothes. And so they're hanging out with like all these celebrities. So he's the man in Harlem. And he like was a big part of like the Harlem Renaissance. Right. Now everybody, you know, there's all these clubs and there's these hot spots. So they would hang out with celebrities, including Billie Holiday, Bill Bojangles Robertson, Sugar Ray Robinson. Like, just all the who's who of black actors. And there was also, he had a way with girls. He also slept with, he slept with Lena Horne, the actor. He uh, he slept with the editor, Vanity Fair. He slept with her. She wrote a chapter about Bumpy Johnson in her autobiography. So it was just all these who's who, like these upper crust people. And she just meets them and it's like this fast life. And they just fucking fall in love. And within six months, they get married. He has his daughter. And then she had a daughter that was around the same age. So her daughter's Ruthie, his daughter's Elise, and they, you know, they get this family. He's got a bunch of money, so they get like a really nice fucking like a luxury spot, and they're living the high life. One day, a neighborhood associate asked Bumpy to find work for the kid's name was Flash Walker. He was a former boxer who was a good boxer, but he had a glass jaw, so he wasn't good at boxing. He's like, look, it seems like this good kid, and he just got, don't have much luck. We need to get him a job. And at first, Bumpy's like, look, gang's full. I don't need no help. And they're like, just get just anything. So Bumpy brought him on to come help around his house, like clean up around the house and shit like mm-hmm. that. Him and Bumpy hit it off. And then eventually Flash Walker wants to get in the numbers game. So he puts him on as a numbers runner and he becomes his top numbers runner. They gave him a $200 route and he turned it into a $500 route. That's big time right there. And what he said he would do, like one of his big tricks, like he was kind of a ladies man. He's a good looking kid. And when women would play their number, he'd be like, oh, that's a good number. I'm going to pay that number too, man. Uh, that's a good one. I'm going to get one of those. Like, you should get more. You paid a penny. That's this much. You paid a fucking quarter. You get this uh, much. He upselled. He, he ate. And they'd be like, you know, you're right. You wanted supersize. You wanted supersize. I'm yeah. telling you, you wanted this shit supersize. Well, that's his always thing. It's like, dude, that is a good number. I'm going to play that number. You should play more. You're going to play a penny? Pay a quarter. We're going to hit it big on this one. So Flash has a, they have like a health scare. He gets hospitalized and they suspect that he's got tuberculosis. They're like, fuck, he's going to die. That shit's contagious. It turned out he just had real bad pneumonia. So then his backstory kind of comes out. Turns out he has pneumonia because he was he was homeless. So he'd been abandoned as a child. So he'd been homeless in Harlem like his whole fucking life, just kind of living on the streets. Like he was currently like sleeping in the back of a pool hall. Wow. Okay. He just wasn't healthy, and uh, Bumpy Bumpy liked him. So Bumpy was like, "Well, fuck that. We need to help this kid." So Bumpy and Mamie moved Flash into his house, and uh, he ended up living with them for six months. Him and Bumpy became real close, and he started to see him as, like, the son he never had because he had a bunch of daughters. He never had a son. Mm -hmm. And uh, Flash was just, like, his boy. He started taking Flash with him on business runs. Like, he took him to meet with Italians, which he didn't do with a bunch of guys. Like, mostly just his boys, like Junie and Finley. Mm -hmm. He was just real close with them. Mamie Johnson claims that Flash Walker's story is what Frank Lucas stole to portray himself as Bumpy's protege. Don't you disrespect Frank Lucas on this podcast. (laughs) What's funny about that is, you know, I can't say right now is the first time that, you know, I've heard about that. And whether my research is right or not, I can say this. You can go to our TikTok and you can watch video footage of Frank Lucas, like on a podcast being interviewed. Mm And he's telling a story and someone says, maybe Johnson said that that was Flash Walker's story and that what you said ain't true and you Mm -hmm. weren't really boys with him. And he said, well, if you think I'm going to sit here and say something bad about Miss Johnson, I'm not going to do it. So There we go. <laughs> I'm with Frank Lucas. 
I don't know what y'all are talking about. They was just trying to get him to say something bad against Miss Johnson. I'm rolling with Frank Lucas. Forget y'all. I'm not talking about man. I ain't about to disrespect no Miss Johnson. (laughs) So around that time, heroin is really starting to move into Harlem. And, you know, the Italians ran the heroin game. Family associates and most local law enforcement agree that Bumpy didn't sell heroin. He wasn't into it. He didn't like it. But he did run Harlem, so he did get anybody that sold heroin in Harlem had to, ki- had to kick up to him. And he would send he would offer loans to people that trying to put a heroin together deal together need some money. He didn't sell heroin. He made money off heroin though. But right. he made money off all the crime. But I he, give you money to start the dope game. I'm just not in the dope game. So. They start making a ton of money. Flash is rolling like with his inner crew, so it's like him and Junie and Nat and Finley, and like the, he's like one of his top guys. But he starts getting like real cocky, causing a lot of trouble. But Bumpy always has his back. Like even when he gets in trouble doing some dumb shit, it was just like he had this soft spot for him. And then he did something real stupid one time where he was cutting like these bad checks that almost got Bumpy in big trouble, so he's already pissed at him. Mm. And then one of Bumpy's daughters accused flash of grabbing her ass and making inappropriate comments so he said he grew, mm-hmm. smacked her ass and then said like i can't wait to catch you alone or something like that and uh bumpy's like what the fuck and then ruthie the other daughter comes and is like oh yeah flash did that to me too oh now dude. i got to cut you yeah first she was the son i never had now you about to be the son i never had right <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Bumpy tracked him down, and he said when Flash seen him, Flash was like, hey, what's going on? And then he like Flash seen that he was pissed, and he's like, uh, what's up? We got to go take care of something? And then Bumpy just started beating the fucking shit out of him. And uh, they said Flash never even fought back, and Flash was pretty tough, and like he was a boxer. And Bumpy beat him unrecognizable. He left him in the gutter. And all his associates kept telling him, like, hey, you need to either make up with him or kill him. Mm-hmm. Because he knows like way too much, no. and you can't just beat him and leave him in the street because mm-hmm. that's not gonna go well. And Bumpy didn't; he wouldn't do either. He was really like his feelings were hurt. Like he was real emotional about it. Like it, like it seemed like it hurt his feelings out of his flash. But he he couldn't commit either way. He wouldn't make up with him, but he wouldn't kill him either. And he didn't yeah, want to kill. He done, he done took him in. It's a yeah. son he never had, but he done went way the fuck left on him. But I love this kid, so I can't fucking kill him. You know, it, it, that's some fucking turmoil to fucking deal with, man. Mm-hmm. Especially for somebody that's not your blood. Yeah. Right. And his boys were like, hey, just kill him. You kind of got to kill him. And Bumpy's like, fuck that. Don't tell me when to kill people. He was like uh, Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. You can't just leave him out here, man. You got to do something. You don't should've come ki- back. You should have killed him. should have killed him. <laughs> you should have fucking killed him. This is what he should have fucking did. So uh Flash Flash gets caught in a drug deal and he turns state's evidence. So he actually before that was trying to set Bumpy up on a drug deal. He actually one of his ex girlfriends, she tried to do it and then gave up and went and told Bumpy, like, Hey, Flash gave me this fucking ounce of coke and told me to stick it in your couch and then let me know when it was there, so I call the cops and say that or it wasn't coke, it was heroin. So we put this heroin under your couch, and uh, I was going to do it, but I couldn't do it. And he was just out there, he's trying to set you up. And then he gets caught actually selling dope. So he just tells, and he's like, I'm selling drugs for Bumpy Johnson. So they try to set him up a deal, and they bring him like to the New York cops, and all the local guys that know Bumpy, they're like, 
well, Bumpy doesn't sell heroin, and uh, none of this checks out. And then they were even told him, like Flash Thompson, like no, I, or Flash Walker's like no, I I do. And uh, they said, even if he did sell heroin, after he beat the shit out of you, why would he still have you <laughs> running heroin deals for him after he fucking beat the fuck out of you and left you? We know shit? everything. Words get to chase. Wait, when when the cops pull your whole car, like look. <laughs> We know what Bumpy does. We know he whooped your ass. So it kind of looks like you're trying to set him up on some bullshit. And, you know, some of us might be taking a couple dollars from Bumpy. So, <laughs> dog, you're going to have to get another game to try to run some bullshit. To figure get him something out. You're going to have to find some other game that you're going to have to run. <laughs> Bumpy do a lot of shit. Bumpy cut motherfuckers. <laughs> Bumpy pull motherfucking eyeballs out. Bumpy got some holes that he be pimping. <laughs> Bumpy don't sell drugs, motherfucker. And, he and, do a whole lot of shit. Bumpy don't sell drugs. But the federal government was out to try and bust anything drug-related. And they were like, well, A, we need Bumpy because Bumpy can point out all the Italian mm. heroin connections. Mm-hmm. So we don't give a fuck if you think he's lying or not. We need this guy's testimony. We're going to charge Bumpy. And the local guys are like, this. it does not going to stick. It doesn't work. He's lying. So they told him. Well, I mean, do you mean to amend your statement like you used to sell? Like, you don't sell for him now because he beat you up, but you used to sell heroin for him, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant, of course. So yeah. he, amends a, he, he amends a statement, and the federal government takes, a, the, takes it over. And they arrest Bumpy while he's out, awaiting trial. In all of his trials, he gets, like, big legal disputes. So he gets arrested in 1950. We're not even going to trial till 1952. Right. But... In 1952, Bumpy's at an after-hours spot, and he's waiting trial, and he gets shot by a small-time pip named Robert Hawk Hawkins. They get in an argument over just stupid shit at a bar, and the guy was being disrespectful, and Bumpy kind of called him on it. But the guy shot him. He shot him once in the chest and twice in the stomach. They rushed him to the hospital. They tried to get him to snitch. They actually showed him a picture of the guy and said, is that him? And he's like, no, that's not the guy that did it. He almost died, but he lived. And then he ends up having to go to trial. So now he's he's been shot up and he's going to trial and Flash is lying on him. So he puts over $200,000 into his defense for this trial. He doesn't want to be labeled a drug dealer. He knows he and didn't do it. This is in 52? 52, right? Yes. Where are we at? Like 1.5 mil? 2.6 million. Yeah. All right. Well, I wasn't even more. Wasn't even bad as I thought. It's, it's almost always higher than you think because you try and be conservative <laughs> and it turns out, nah, money used to... Yeah. There used to you used to be a millionaire, it meant a lot. Like, if yeah, you're a millionaire a now, you're yeah. upper middle class, motherfucker. Yeah. Right. That don't even mean shit. But yeah, he spends a ton of money on it and they tear their case apart. They catch Flash and Lion on the stand. They bring in the lady that says that Flash tried to get her to set him up. They go to the break and they're confident everything went well and they deliberate for three hours and then come back and they're like, oh, that's good. That means it's for sure. Not guilty right off the bat. It was quick. And they go in there. They found him guilty on all charges. Wow. Yeah. Bumpy, Mamie, everybody that was in attendance said, like, even the judge was like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Wait a minute. That's not the thing that we were expecting. <laughs> judge is like, all right, he done paid a couple people. Defense or the prosecutor done been a fucking shit show. And we're going to get out of here real fast and hurry. Guilty. Who the fuck wrote guilty? On okay, we got a guilty on all guilty on all charges. Bailiff, are you sure that's what they wrote? Guilty on, man, double check. Guilty, 
Oh, shit. This is about to be a long day. All right, we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
So support for Say Hello to the Bad Guy is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's blow-the-waist grooming. They offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BADGUY at manscaped.com. We, got, we all got the performance kits. You guys all got your kits, right? I yes, ask sir. that every show. I know you guys got them. Now, <laughs> yeah. so my bad. But yeah, it's uh, if you get the performance kit, that's like the Cadillac package. You get the lawnmower 4.0. You get the weed whacker, ear and nose trimmer. You get the crop reviver, the crop preserver, which is all both uh, like ball deodorants. Comes with like a travel case. Some and, underwear. Yeah, anti-chafing underwear. And some uh, the fake newspapers that turns out they're mats, so that you put them on the ground. Collect all your pubes. Yeah. Throw it out. Nice yep. little shaving mat and shit. Yep. But uh, yeah, the uh, little I gave my balls a little spritz coming out the shower today. So I named my nuts Andre Three Thousand and Big Boy because they are fresh and so clean, clean. Hey, and I would say that if nothing else, if you know the 4.0, it's a little bit over the top for you. You know what I mean? You just go into seventies jungles bush. At least. Get the fucking crop preserver and the crop reviver. And, there you, you know, go. Freshen your shit up a mm. little bit. And then they have a whole like suite of products. So they got lip balm. They got foot deodorant. All um, the standard toiletries. Yeah, anything you want. Regular face trimmers. Um, and anything you go, anything you go and get, use the promo code bad guy, and it helps the podcast. So you don't got to go get the you know lawnmower 4.0. Oh, they got the uh, the man wipes. Those be real yeah. good too. Yeah. So. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BADGUY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BADGUY. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, we're back. So both charges, they gave him 10 years for one and five for the other to be conserved consecutively. Right. Um, so they gave him 15 years. At first they sent him to Leavenworth and they sent him to Alcatraz. He's a terrible prisoner. At one point he got caught. He got into it with a guy, and he got caught because he was sharpening two spoons for a fair knife gotta fight. Do what you gotta do. They had him checked for insanity, but they were even like, "Nah, he's actually real smart and shit." Like we, we would like to put him away. Oddly enough, he's one of the only guys that did better in Alcatraz because in Alcatraz they just mostly kept him by himself, mm-hmm. and he was cool with that like he'd just sit there and read and mind his own fucking business i ain't but, gotta deal with no fucking people do you know how fucking yeah. just difficult it is to deal with fucking people so he went to alcatraz Put me in a hole leave me alone <laughs> he went to alcatraz twice so he went to alcatraz and he did fine so they're like oh let's get him out of here you know he's not so bad he's reformed we fixed him so they sent him back or so they sent him back he started fighting he hit a guy with a paperweight in the warden's office they're like send him back to alcatraz this <laughs> motherfucker can't get his shit together he ended up doing 10 of his 15 years. They transferred him off Alcatraz. Alcatraz was starting to close. And then at one point, Leavenworth and Atlanta both didn't want him. They're like, no, we're not taking him back. Every time you take, he's over here sharpening spoons and getting in fights and shit. Like, we don't want Bubby here. So they ended up putting him to Lewisburg eventually, which is where he wanted to go anyways. He went there and like wrote poetry and shit like that. So they were going to give him early release, even though he didn't have good behavior, just because they were sick of dealing with him. But he had a $9,000 fine, and he wasn't going to pay it because he wasn't a heroin dealer. And they're like, dude, we actually already have this much from, like, your leftover commissary and da da, da And, like, it's like 100 bucks a month or something. And he's like, no. No. It's I'm the not principle. fucking paying for it. He didn't. 
And he was actually going to stay in there and do that time when they were mm-hmm. trying to get him released after 10 years because he was not going to pay the $9,000. And they got, they got it down to like 6700 And he's like, no, I'm not fucking, I'm not a heroin dealer. And if I pay it. And uh, Mamie had to go out and visit him and cry. And she said that's what always worked for everything. You know, at the end of the day, she could just cry and then be like, all right. Let's do it. See, I've had a lot of drinks. I don't remember if we talked about that before the podcast (laughs) or on the podcast, but I mentioned that some of your most hardcore guys are really soft over women, and you have an example right there where it's like, oh, she's crying. Okay, shit. I'll do it, babe. You really have that scenario. I was going to do another five years, but I will not watch you cry. Exactly. So after 10 years, he gets released in 1963. And he he still maintains all his business and he, you know, reestablishes his presence on the streets, but he focuses more on putting some uh, legitimate business together. So he wanted to get into the chemical business. So he put together like a pest control company mm-hmm. and uh, cause he was working with chemicals and shit. He, he got set up in like some like local clubs, like parts of like uh, bars and stuff like that. So he's trying to really build some more legitimate stuff. He'd spend a lot of time with his granddaughter. They were raising kind of as their daughter. So... One of their daughters had a kid and then bounced out, and they raised the uh, the daughter. So he'd spend a lot of time with his granddaughter, and uh, he'd go to the track a lot. But, like, on the streets, like, shit was, like, different. Now the mobsters, Lucky Luciano was dead. Albert mm-hmm. Anastasia was dead. Joey Adonis was now deported. Like, mm-hmm. at one point, he, he was the guy that you'd <laughs> say, go call the deported guy. Now he's deported. Uh, Frank Costello was pushed into retirement, and it was, mm-hmm. like a seriously new generation of Italians. And so he, it, he'd been gone so long. All the guys that had my back, they're all fucking gone. And I got to deal with all these fucking young punks. And this just ain't where it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. He's almost 60 at this point. 58, right? You said this was in 63. So yeah, he's 58. And uh, Nat Parker went to prison on the same charges. Bumpy got arrested and they were working on getting the money. To get him out and nat parker said no we're just gonna go get him out now i got 25 grand cash i'm gonna go up there and they tried to call him back and say no we got 25 grand cash we're doing it through this bondsman on this mortgage to the house because it's better for the business but nat was already trying to go there so he showed up at the police station and was like i'm here with twenty five thousand dollars to bail out bumpy and they're like who are you they're nat parker and they're like cool you're the other guy on the warrant <laughs> come on back come on back nat did the twenty five thousand resurface or disappear? No, they had it. Well, like so that <laughs> went towards his bond because they both got bonded <laughs> out. But Nat Parker was still in prison on the same charges. Junie and Finley were out. He lived, he lived in the same luxury hotel mm-hmm. as Junie and his wife. Like, and he had never been there. Mamie had moved there while he was in prison, but he had got a lot of money. They took real good care of him when he was in prison. And Mamie said even the Italians, because he got busted on the heroin charges, and he could have really fucking over. rolled over on all of them. Mm-hmm. So he she said regularly, like her standard of living when he was gone over those 10 years didn't change at all, because his guys had her back for whatever she needed. Like So when, when TVs came out, one of his boys showed up and was like, hey, there's these new TVs, we bought you one, put it in the living room. But she said, yeah, regularly Italian dudes would just show up with giant envelopes for money, like, hey. Here you go. That, if you that, need anything. That's my respect for the game that you ran. And that, you know, that's how it's supposed to be when you're sitting there doing shit like that. Because 
through episodes of everything I listened to because I've binge listened for the past like week. Yeah. It didn't go down like that all the time. Right. You know, so that was my respect for him on that part. Yeah, not to mention, I think in general, that's a part of the game that's different. So, you know, you hear people talk about nowadays how the younger cats, they'll snitch in a heartbeat. But so much of what you talk about, that doesn't exist anymore. So when you go down and you don't talk or whatever else, there's nothing on the other side of that. Nobody's taking care of your family. Nobody's taking care of your commissary. You know, you just didn't tell for quote unquote street cred, right? But, you know, so you have so many guys now that just go ahead and pretty much from point one turn over, but it's a whole different system. And when O-heads don't understand what's going on with the newer generation, you also have to understand the system. The support system you had before isn't there anymore. You have to create an environment where snitching's not the viable option. Exactly. Also, a big problem was drug time. You have to do a lot of dice games to get 15 years. You know? Yeah. A little bit of dope will get you there quick. Yeah, but the modern Italians don't share. You know? Mm -hmm. He, uh... He gets along well with a lot of the militant types in the 60s. Like, he really got a lot. Like, he liked the Black Panthers. He got along with Malcolm X real well. A lot of people say he knew Malcolm X when he was Detroit Red mm-hmm. in Harlem. But the times don't match up when he was in Dan Mora versus when Malcolm X was in the area. Mm-hmm. But he did offer, when Malcolm X left the nation of Islam, Bumpy said, I could take these motherfuckers out as quick as you want. Like, you, you need guns, you need protection, you need whatever. You let me know. And Malcolm X is like, nah, that's not the, that's what I'm leaving behind. That's not the kind of situation I'm trying to create. You know, that's going to portray the wrong image of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to move away from that. And then he was killed like three weeks later. Mm -hmm. Wow, I didn't know that either. 1965, Bumpy decides like, well, I don't sell heroin. I'm not a drug dealer. But Coke, that's like a party drug. It's almost different, you know. I mean, crack's not a thing yet. It's Coke's still a fun drug. It's a good time and shit. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to get in the Coke game. So he starts uh, starts dealing in Coke. And he gets busted. He gets caught, get caught and gets released on bail. When they arrested him, so he's 60 years old, right? They fucking walked up on him. And he jumped in his car and bounced out. And they had to chase him down in his car. And then force it off the road. And then when they forced it off the road, he got out and started running. And all the cops had to get out and tackle him and arrest him and shit. <laughs> What? How many cops did it take to chase down a 60-year-old man? Because I'm thinking, all right, look, he's 60 years old. He's been eating good with the Italians. He's been in and out of jail. So, you know, I'm sure he's been smoking. How many blocks, I would say half a block, was that motherfucking chase? Probably not a fire chase. We've heard we've heard he's scrappy. We never once heard he was fast. There's even a guy in the story called Flash, and it wasn't him. So he gets out on bail, and the same thing. He's out for fucking years fighting this in, tri- in court. Mm. Uh, this is the time where he met Frank Lucas for real. Mamie said he didn't like Frank Lucas. He said he didn't dislike him, but he didn't like him either. He was kind of a kiss-ass. So in 1967, Bumpy Johnson has a series of three heart attacks. Then he has to stop driving, and that's another thing. Frank Lucas said he was Bumpy's driver. Right. Bumpy, anybody that knows Bumpy, they all say he loved to drive. His his wife said Bumpy drove himself. I can respect that because you know what? 
I'll ride with anybody. I'm uncomfortable as shit. If I ain't driving, I'm hitting the imaginary brake. I'm grabbing the old shit handle. I'm pointing out, motherfucker, you did damn near just sideswipe the motherfucker. I'm well, real anal about driving. Put it this way. He drove all the time. After he had a heart attack, one of them he had like behind the wheel or something like that. And it was a problem. When he couldn't drive no more, he took it real hard. Shit slowly got worse after that. Now, I'm not saying it wouldn't have got worse anyways. But when he couldn't drive and they started having to give him drivers and shit, he fucking hated it. You take somebody's license, man. That's taking somebody's freedom. The other thing was Frank Lucas said he was his driver for 15 years. And anybody that knows Bumpy, you're like... He hasn't even been in Harlem for 15 years. He's in prison so often. He's been in Harlem for like seven years <laughs> his whole life. What do you mean? When were you his driver for 15 years? He's always in prison. July 7th, 1968 at 2 a.m. He goes to Wells Restaurant. Wells, they take the credit for inventing chicken and waffles. So if you look at it logically, that's not true. Like people have kind of put that together historically. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of examples. But what they credit as during the Harlem Renaissance, mm. all these jazz musicians, so they had all these clubs, so they were always coming there like late at night. And it was too late for dinner, but too early for breakfast. So that's when they started coming up with chicken and waffles as like a little bit of both. So that's the story Wells told. And it's it is known as like they call it the the, the world's best chicken and waffles. They kinda claim to invent in it, but the guy that started roscoe's chicken and waffles mm-hmm. is from harlem's originally and wells like it was his inspiration for starting that have you mm. ever seen the movie black dynamite uh-uh this is blasphemy so you gotta go watch black dynamite and you'll find out how roscoe's chicken and waffles was really created okay you gotta watch black dynamite that's that's all i'm gonna say all of, all the listeners they have to go and find and watch black dynamite Wells was the place in the middle of the night, so, like, anybody, they called them sportsmen, which was, like, they're, like, Matt Hustlers. So all the gangsters and shit like that would go there late, all the musicians. It was, like, their version of, like, around here at Coney Island. I can do that. Three hitting, in the morning. Hitting Dooley's at three in the morning after being clubbing yeah. or drinking all night. Wells was that spot. I'm surprised that Coney Island, as we know it in Detroit, isn't a thing all over the world. As a 62-year-old man that just had three heart attacks is going to do, he goes out gambling for the night, and he goes to Wells' restaurant. He orders his usual, which was coffee, a chicken leg, and hominy grits. Before he could take a bite of his food, he grabbed his chest, and he ended up dying of a heart attack in uh, Wells' restaurant. He died in the arms of Junie Bird. And that's another thing that Frank Lucas claimed that Bumpy Bumpy Johnson died in his arm. And uh, maybe Johnson said that, He's lucky he said that after Junie died, because Junie would have fucking flipped his shit if he'd heard this motherfucker say, it's that fucking, he met Bumpy in a craps game in 19 fucking 19, and this motherfucker's gonna say he died in his arms? Allegedly. So he died of a heart attack. Now, his funeral was attended by thousands, but most of the celebrities he knew stayed away from it because he was on that coke charge, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to be associated with that. Even though they were probably the ones buying the coat. Oh, for that's, sure. Yeah, that's the <laughs> I mean, it's like what we talked about earlier with, you know, mob association and everything like that. But it's like if you get caught, we turn our back. That's how it is. Hollywood. And that's the story of Bumpy Johnson. So say goodnight to the bad guy. 
Come on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. So that's the story of Bumpy Johnson. So you guys, I mean, you guys know who Bumpy Johnson is. So Mm -hmm. he's had a ton of portrayals. So characters that were based on him in the movie Life. You guys know Life? Yeah. Um, Spanky Johnson was played by Rick James, who was based on Bumpy Johnson. In the movie Cotton Club, Lawrence Fishburne played Bumpy Rhodes, who was based on Bumpy Johnson. And then Shaft... Moses Gunn played Bumpy Jonas, who was based on Bumpy Johnson. But actual Bumpy Johnson portrayals, he was played by Clarence William III in uh, American Gangster. Yeah. You guys know who that guy is? No, I was yeah. about to look at right now. Tales from the Hood? Yeah. You seen Tales I know who from that the Hood? is, yeah. But then uh, he was played by Lawrence Fish- Fishburne in Hoodlum, and then Forrest Whitaker in Godfather of Harlem. But Lawrence Fishburne's six foot tall. Forrest Whitaker's six two. That's you said he was Bumpy was actually five eight. Five eight, yeah. And even that Clarence William that played him was five eleven. So that's one thing I think is crazy. He's always portrayed as like a bigger dude, and I think it's just the way he carried himself. So you guys got any ideas if he's gonna recast a Bumpy Johnson role? Who you put in there? Yeah, even before you went it, like before we got to this part. When you were describing him, when it was asked what he looked like, what it, the build was, the first person I thought of was Tay Diggs. And I think Tay Diggs could play that type of role, but also his size. I think Tay Diggs is somewhere about 5'9 or whatever, but depending on which... Smallish, but, but athletic. Correct. And I think that type of build, it's like what we would always talk about before as we're talking about some of these guys. What's considered big back in those days and today is very, very different. What's considered built back in those days and today is very, very different. And I think Tay Diggs today would be kind of a a slim stocky, I would say. But back in those days, especially as a kid, that's a big kid, right? But that was who I thought of that would be able to play. And then I think he's a really good actor, so I think he would be able to play a good Bumpy Johnson. What do you think, Damien? I was thinking height-wise and size-wise. I don't know his name, but it's Cuba Gooden Jr.'s younger brother. Oh, he played in Baby Omar Boy. Omar Gooden Jr. Whatever. Omar I, Gooden. <laughs> I know he's like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, I'm pretty sure. I yeah. could be wrong, but I know he's a docu dude. Uh, at least like the younger part of his years. So now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Now standard DEFCON scale is 5 to 1, 5 being the lowest, 1 being the highest. But the Bad Guy Podcast... There's no good guys. So five would be Lee Murray, who's your drug dealing, kidnapping, bank robber. And one would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars and multiple massacres, and they're killing people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate Bumpy Johnson? I'd give Bumpy Johnson a two. Just for the simple fact that, yo, he was ruthless. He ain't put up with no shit. But he didn't sit there and do that all on his own. He sat there and took the finesse game from the queen you sat there and said he did 40 murders but none of them he was convicted for so like there's no facts that he did 40 himself right but it's him and his crew so who knows how that's split up they probably right. don't even know at some point you're shooting it out but you know battling with dutch salt sitting there making good with lucky luciano i give him a two I'm actually going to go on a complete opposite end of the spectrum. I think he's a four. 
I put him a lot closer to a Lee Murray, and this is the reason why I say that. When you look at the situations where you had, okay, this is actually him up against X guy, almost every time he was trying to prove a point rather than take a guy out. Stab a guy out, up and take him to the hospital, right? He wasn't trying to kill somebody. It was more proving a point and controlling his territory. Um, so when I look at stuff like that, and once again, we have to understand that everybody's a bad guy. It's not like we're comparing bad guys versus good guys. When you look at that in the realm of bad guys, especially back then, you would just take a guy out. It wasn't even a question. And you would just shoot him. Doesn't matter if you spray up his car, shoot up his house, whatever, kill a couple people along the way. Like the, you know, when the guy, you know, tried to shoot and kill him and shot through his hat and killed some chick, that wasn't him. It was, hey, I'm going to prove a point and this is my area. I really just want you out of my area so we can run this money and these numbers. You look at the fact that he didn't want to be a part in, in the drug game. He didn't want to be a part of the the uh, prostitution and so many things that was kind of brought to him more really when you think about it from the protection, which is more of a positive end versus a negative. So when I look at all that and I encompass it, and even what you mentioned, the 40 murders, it was, it was even at the, you know, the story, it was like his, it was said his game may have been a part of 40 murders, but how much of that was him one and two, how much of that was actually of the war? And we mentioned before on this podcast, when you're at war, that's a kind of a different scenario. So sure. for those reasons, I actually give him a four. I couldn't give him a five because I'm pretty sure he has bodies, right? But it's not enough for me to bump him above a four, in my opinion. I think I land him around the middle. So you, I think it kind of you guys set it up perfect because you had him at a two, you had him at a four. I think I probably run him at about a three, which I think is standard crime boss ranking because they typically they do the dirt they need to to get in the position that they need to be in. But once they're in that position, they tend to choose business over violence. So he was delegating shit. Yeah. So he was always down for a fight, but. I think a lot of times the guys that go into one or twos are the guys that are more like hitmen that are like, no, I just rather stick to the violence part. Mm. And I think, I think he had a lot more violence than your average crime boss. But I also think it's because he was like a wartime general. Mm-hmm. You get more action that way, so it's going to seem mm-hmm. like you did more dirt because you had to, because right. you were under duress the whole time. Mm-hmm. So. I think, you know, you look at Tony Accardo, Giuseppe Morello, I think a lot of the big-time bosses end up rolling in at about a three because you take this giant body of work and then you look at, you know, some violence, but you kind of, you you do that on an average, you know, and you take all these decades and you split out this violence, you know, that's like, that's like what, like a murder and a half a year that ain't even right, that bad? Right, When you average it out. <laughs> well, you kill a guy every three years, that ain't bad. But I see both sides, definitely. But I think that's where I land him in the middle because I think, you know, himself, we don't have as much information. But we get that with a lot of these really gangster guys, too. Mm -hmm. Like, who knows? You're out there. You only got 10 people and bodies are dropping all over the place. But then again, that's not you out doing hits. That's you fighting in your neighborhood. You know, I mean, what are we giving soldiers like DEFCONs now for fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, doing what they're supposed to? So I think we just 
We'll just kind of land it in the middle. We'll call him a DEFCON 3. Zach, this is Crystal Palace. Sink Norad has declared DEFCON 3. Scramble all alert aircraft. I repeat, scramble all alert aircraft. I'm down with that, you know. I'm down with that. All right. This is uh, the end of the season finale episode. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. Down bad, my mama had to be dad. Spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And I don't need a hundred friends. I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jugs, a hundred scams. Hey, hey. So I don't money grabbed a hundred hams. I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the pistols. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental life. Ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. You smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. And her ass fake And yeah, she in love with the bad guy But bad bitches never act right She act up into that bag fly She did a turn around in one night Say hello to the bad guy The good guy coming last place You smell that dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy Place. 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 Place.